Well, if you know me well, my name is Mitch Horton again, senior pastor if you're new. Uh, I pay a teaching series, first of the year. I didn't know I'd go this long, but I'm going as long as I need to go on this one. God spoke to me over the Christmas holidays, said if you're going to have an effective year in 2020 and beyond, develop a strong prayer life. So I've been teaching on prayer every Sunday I've been here since the 1st of January. And, and so this is lesson number seven on the subject of prayer. And so we're just covering it line upon line, precept upon precept again. How many know you never live past your prayer life? True statement. You never minister past your prayer life. Uh, you'll never be more than your prayer life allows. How many know if I don't pray, I'm trusting myself, not the Lord. So there's lots of reasons for us to pray. So again, the title of this series, Prayer is a Place of Safety. Week one, we talked about Jesus' uh, Jesus' prayer life, and, uh, and it was in, he, he was so involved in prayer and everything he did. And then how we can pray about the intricate details of life. Week two through four, talked about the why behind prayer. And a lot of people don't realize some of these things. Uh, God created the earth, placed us here, mankind here. And the way he set this up is God is the overarching authority over over the universe, but he gave some of his all authority to us, the human race, and so he governs the earth through man. And that's just, and he won't do anything unless he goes through a man. That's just the way it works. And when Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, sinned, they actually gave some of that authority that God gave them, gave it away to God's arch, arch, arch enemy, Satan, and uh, they committed treason against God. It's a treasonous act. And, uh, and Satan now has a legal right to be here, Jesus said he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But thank God when Jesus came, the first man in fellowship with God since Adam's sin that was born that way, when Jesus came, Jesus took the authority that Satan gained from, um, from the devil, uh, that Satan gained from Adam and Eve away from him. Isn't that good news? And then he gave it to us. I mean, how cool is that? And so now, if God's going to do something in the earth, he works through the prayer life of the church. Yes or no? And so God's got two billion people plus all, all over the planet. And uh, so regardless of who we are, where we are, there may be somebody on the other side of the world praying for you. Or you're in your prayer life and you don't know what you're praying about. If you're praying in the Spirit, you may be praying for somebody in Africa or India or somebody in, in the Orient or somebody in the Middle East, somebody that's going through a test or somebody that's, uh, you know, just really being challenged. How many know we're praying for each other? And so God can only do things as he works through the church today. And so we've been talking about that. And the last two times we changed course and, and got real practical here. Talking about the different kinds of prayer. Ephesians six eighteen, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. For all the Lord's people. So I like what he said here. Pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer. Now most of us when we think of prayer. We just think all prayer is prayer and that's it. Or how many know that's not true? Not all prayer is exactly the same. And there are different rules that go with the different kinds of prayer. And I illustrated this a couple of weeks ago. You know you got basketball. You got tennis, football. You know different kinds of sports. Well you wouldn't play football with basketball rules would you? Huh? What if you play tennis with golf rules? Well, that's crazy. But we do that with our prayer life because we don't understand, you know, just some of the rules God set up for the different kinds of prayer. So I'm trying to make this as practical as possible. 
I found seven different kinds of prayer. I th- actually, I think I'm going to make it eight because today I can only get to one kind. Uh, we talked about the prayer of faith a couple, a few weeks ago. We talked about the prayer of consecration where you relinquish personal control of your life into God's hands. How many know we do that all the time? Today we're going to talk about the prayer of supplication. And we're going to go into that. And then the next time we'll talk about intercession. And then maybe another one, the prayer of agreement, the prayer of worship, united praying, praying in the spirit. And so again, the rules that govern these different kinds of praying. And as you get into this, how many know you can be effective in prayer? How many know God wants to answer prayer? Yes or no? You know, we just don't pray, pray to save our conscience. We pray to get results. How many, how many expect God to, God to answer your prayers? So uh, today, I want to talk about the prayer of supplication. Now, last time I talked about the prayer of consecration. Then we talked about the prayer of faith. Today, the prayer of supplication. 1 Peter 2, 1, two verses. 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2. Therefore, I exhort that supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings and all who are in authority, that we may live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. He mentions there, I exhort first of all supplications. And then again, again, Ephesians six eighteen, praying always with all prayer and supplication, New King James Version says. To supplicate means to beg a favor in behalf of another. You don't supplicate for yourself, you supplicate for someone else. So I want to talk about praying for others today. Unlike the prayer of faith, the prayer of faith is a prayer. You primarily pray for yourself. You have need of healing. You have need of finances. There's a circumstance that's just grueling. And you believe in God to get you to the other side of that. Or there's something in your personal life that you need from the Lord. It's also how we cast our, our worries on the Lord is through this prayer of faith. So we talked about that in fair detail a few Sundays ago. But this prayer of supplication... Unlike that that prayer, this is a prayer that we pray for others. And there are different rules that apply. We always pray in faith regardless of what kind of prayer we use. But the way we apply the faith is different. How many understand that? And so intercession, we'll talk about that next time. Intercession is literally when God uses you to take someone else's place. You feel what they feel. Their burden becomes your burden. And you're the go-between. You grab God's hand, you grab the person's hand. And you stand there until God comes through and helps the need. We'll talk about that next time. Today I want to dedicate the time talking about the prayer of supplication. The four things that we need to know about the prayer of supplication. Everybody good? Uh, version is available. My notes are there. You can open up version. Go there. Is it still on version? Is it something else? So that just forget everything I just said. The app will be healed next service. Usually it's on version. Now you just got to listen to me. How's that? Uh, so four things about the prayer of supplication. We need to know, number one, I just said it. You're praying for someone else. Now, when it comes to praying for me, see, you read the Bible and you read some of these scriptures and say, but Jesus said this, but he also said that it seems to contradict. It's because he's talking about a different kind of praying, particularly about prayer. It's that way, Mark eleven twenty four. we mentioned that verse when talking about the prayer of faith, a prayer you pray for yourself when you have a personal need. And Mark eleven twenty four says, I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it. It will be yours. Now, primarily, that's a prayer you pray one time. 
And when you pray at that one time, you act like in what you say and how you live that you've received the answer to that prayer. I ask God to heal my voice. So I act like my voice is normal. Even though it may sound a little croaky, I could care less because I believe that I receive, get it? So that's how it works, or for finances, or for overcoming a circumstance, it works the same way. But with the prayer of supplication, you exercise faith just a little bit differently. Uh, You're asking on behalf of someone else. In fact, if you look at the root words in the original languages of Scripture for the word supplication, um, it really means, one word really meant to extend an olive branch, and it's something... People in the first century in Middle Eastern culture, if they would go before a dignitary, an emperor, somebody like that, and they were asking for something very serious on behalf of their neighbor or someone else, they would take an olive branch with all kind of little goodies on it, and they would kind of bow down and, 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 and go before him like this with an extended olive branch. Now, that's interesting to me. I just, I just read that as I looked through some of my concordances about this word supplication. But that's what you're doing. You're going before God when you pray the prayer of supplication. You're not praying for you. Say, now, Lord, I know you. But, Lord, I'm coming to you on behalf of, of this person. You hear what I'm saying? And, Lord, I, I want your peace to work in their life. That olive branch, that's peace, right? I, I want you to work in them in a different way. So, uh, again, the uh, prayer of Supplication is a prayer you pray for someone else. Luke eleven nine, 9, Jesus said this. I tell you, keep on asking, you will receive. Um, keep on seeking, you'll find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. Everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. Everyone who knocks, the door will be open. One of the primary things about the prayer of supplication. Now listen to this. Unlike the prayer of faith, you pray it over and over. Now, that's what people don't understand. When I'm praying for me, a lot of times if I'm praying for healing, like I did for my voice, I pray one time. And the rest of the time, I don't pray the same way. I thank God because I believe he answered my prayer, right? Right? But see, when you're praying for someone else, there's some other things that are involved. And it's necessary that we do what Jesus said. In fact, that's the imperative present tense. Asking, keep on asking. Knocking, keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking, and you'll receive, or the door will be opened, etc., etc. Why did he say it that way? When you pray in a prayer for someone else, it's important not to do it just one time, but to just hang in there and keep it going. How many hear what I'm saying? And so it's so different from the prayer of faith. Even though faith is exercised, point number two, there's a different application of faith. And that's what I just mentioned. When praying for others than when you pray for yourself. One of the reasons is because you've got another human will involved. How many know the will is really important to God? You know, the will is, is one of the things about us that God holds inviolate or he will never violate the human will. The, the human will is so sacred to God. You remember Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15, God said to his Um, The Israelites, now listen today, I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. And then he said in verse 19, today, I've given you a choice between life and death, blessings and cursing. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. See, God lays out life before us and he lets us make choices. 
And you know, I like that about God, don't you? God will never transgress the human will. God will never go beyond what you want to do. You know, a lot of people take that as permission from God to do things that they know is wrong. Yes or no? God will let you do something even though he knows it's wrong, even though you know it's wrong. And watch this, even though it may hurt the other people around you. You say, well, why would God do that? Because he's not a tyrant. He's not like the enemy. He's not like Satan. Satan just comes in and just runs right over if you let him. But I've often said God's like this. If he was standing at the door over here on the side that goes to the uh, exterior, if he was standing at that door and maybe it was a jar open, maybe six to eight inches, God is such a gentle gentleman, such a gentle person. If he wanted to, wanted to talk to you by coming through that door, he would stand at the door. That's why Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and I just knock. He stand at the door. He won't touch the door. He won't open the door. He'll wait till you come to the door and you see him through the crack and you say, can I help you? And he might say, I'd like to talk. But then he'll wait until you open the door and invited him in. Satan's not that way. So one of the reasons that we pray over and over for others in a similar way is in faith. We do it because the will is involved. And how many know, if you're like me, sometimes that will is like a mule. Would you agree? And so, uh, and then understand, our faith works right up to where a person's will is. My faith in Jesus, my faith in God's word, it works right up to a person's will. But my faith and my praying can't change a person's will. Yes or no? You remember, you remember King Agrippa, Acts 26? Paul was preaching the word, and the king was standing before him, listening to him preaching. And, and Paul said to him, well, don't you believe what I'm saying? And then Paul said, and then King Agrippa said, almost, Paul, you persuade me to be a Christian. Well, why didn't Paul go ahead and persuade him? He couldn't. See, our prayers and our faith can't go past another person's willingness to yield to God. How many understand? For that reason, we pray often the same things over and over. How about the rich young ruler, that, that, that young leader that had a lot of money? It came to Jesus, said, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, well, you know the commands, you know, uh, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Don't commit sexual sin. Honor your father and mother. He said, well, I've done that since I've been born. And Jesus said, one thing you lack. Go and sell what you got. Give to the poor. You have great riches in heaven. And the scripture says he left, turned away, walked away from Jesus, <coughs> and was sorrowful, <coughs> excuse me, because he had great riches. Really, great riches had him. Is that true? That's the way it is for a lot of people today. For that reason, again, there's another... Clear illustration, God won't transgress the human will. He won't go past that. And that's the reason when you're praying for someone else. I mean, just every, I, I was up early this morning. I was talking to the Lord about all kinds of things. And I've got these certain people I'm believing God for in my family. And I just set their names before the Lord. Lord, I just wanted you to know here's what I'm believing. I'm believing this and I'm believing this. And I thank you that you're moving on them in this way and this way and this way. How many know John 6, 44 says, no man can come to me, Jesus said, except the Father himself draw him. How many know you don't even have a desire for God without God placing that desire in you? 
So one of the ways I pray for people that don't know the Lord and are living a wayward life, or maybe a believer that's just kind of straight, I pray, Lord, draw them to you. Now, what happens when you pray that prayer? Your faith takes that prayer and goes right up to their human will. And God gives them desires for him. But God won't change their will. That's why it often takes some time. How many will hear what I'm saying? So, you know, for instance, uh, you've heard my little stories. In my teenage years, I smoked pot and I did drugs and all this kind of stuff. And, and uh, you know, my mother and father caught wind of what I was doing. I was still living in their home. I graduated high school when I was 16. They went to college. And I was involved in things I shouldn't be involved in. And, and I just couldn't figure out, you know, uh, why. In the, listen to this, in the middle of the night. You've heard, some of you heard me say this. In the middle of the night, 2 o'clock in the morning, I had this really nice stereo system in my bedroom in my parents' home. And then I had these really nice ear, ear uh, headphones that I bought. And I'd plug them in my stereo and it's right beside my bed. So when I went to sleep, sometimes I put the headphones on to listen to rock music and stuff, my favorite bands. I'm not making, uh, some reason, something happened to me. And I found myself two o'clock in the morning many times. I'd wake up, be wide awake, and I'd plug in my headphones. And there was a 24-hour Christian radio station. This is in the mid-1970s. I'd turn it to that turn it on, and I'd listen to this Christian music with a piano and organ. And here's my thinking. Boy, I can't stand this kind of music. Why am I even listening to stuff like, man, this is, this is grandma music. This is grandpa music. What, what am I doing? I'm better than this. But, you know, the next thought was, but there's nothing in my music that makes me feel like this inside. How many hear me? And you know what I found out years later? My mother was praying for me. See, what happened? Her prayers, her faith took God and the conviction of the Spirit and put it right up to my human will. And you know what? I kept listening and listening. And then I didn't realize what was happening, but I'd come home to eat the evening meal or whatever. You remember those chick tracks? You know, this was your life, one of them? Well, they'd be all over their house. And I'd be sitting down eating that thing, sitting right there. I'd read that thing, and I, I would get under such conviction. I said, because there's, there's one, one of the pages on the track. It lists all the sins, you know, lying, cheating, you know, lust, uh, you know, all this other mess. And, and I would think, well, and it says, this was your life. And you're going to hell. I said, oh, my Lord, I don't need to go there. What I didn't realize was my mother was praying for me. And I had other people that were praying for me as a teenager as I was living a wayward life. You see, again, again, your, your prayers won't go past another person's will, but they, but, they, but they bring the Spirit of God right up to where that person's living. How many hear what I'm saying? I had a, I had a friend of mine. This was in 1980. And uh, this guy was a twin, a red-headed, freckle-faced guy. He had a twin brother. You couldn't tell them apart. And I met them before I went to school. They went to my church. We went to school, through school together, and yada, yada, friends and all that. We did drugs together, did all this kind of stuff together. I came to the Lord, and Glenn, my friend, would come to where I worked. And, you know, he knew that I came to the Lord because I quit smoking pot and doing all that stuff. And, and, you know, he had engaged me in conversation. And sometimes he would just come. I worked in a grocery store, and uh, he'd come right up to where I was, um, where I was working 
And he'd say, well, hi, Mitch. And we'd carry on conversation and such. And the conversation would always wind around to the things of the Lord because he had mentioned something and I would mention something in the conversation. would just carry around to something about the Lord. And, and, and Glenn would always say this, Mitch, I'm not going to hell. I, I, I know I'm not living right right now, but I don't ever intend uh, not to go to heaven. I'm going to heaven. I, I'll go. I, I'll commit my life to, but I'm, to Jesus, but I'm just not ready yet. And I'd always end the conversation, well, Glenn, don't wait. You're not promised tomorrow if you don't know the Lord. Now, you know, I was praying for Glenn. I was praying for his salvation. Well, uh, uh, anyway, May of 1980, actually 1st of June 1980, he was working in a, he was working in a gas station. And, um, and he was the attendant in the gas station there. And uh, they had these uh, plexiglass walls you couldn't shoot through. It was a pretty dangerous part of the city where he was working, so he was back behind this glass stuff. And anyway, a guy robbed the station, pointed the gun down where you put the money. You, we still used cash at the time. And uh, they pressed the trigger on the gun, and the bullet ricocheted, hit him in the temple, killed him instantly. Now, you don't know, that's bothered me all of my life because I had conversation after conversation with Glenn. And I prayed for him, and I prayed for his salvation. But what I knew was, God, God wouldn't go against this young man's will. He was a friend of mine. I knew him all my life. It broke my heart when I heard he had, he had suddenly died because I had no knowledge that he had ever changed his ways and came to, to Jesus. I, and I still don't know that to this day. Uh, I, I hope so, but I don't know that. But see, that taught me a lesson that you always pray for people because you never know. How many hear me? So again, it's another lesson that once you pray, your prayer goes up to that person's will, then it stops. How many get it? Number three, there's also a difference in the application of faith when you're praying this prayer for other people, prayer of supplication, because of the hindrance of Satan. How many know Satan hinders or seeks to hinder every life? In fact, listen to this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, the apostle Paul said this. I've got several translations here. He said, therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, said to the uh, church in Thessalonica, I wanted to come to see you, but Satan hindered us. Another translation says, but Satan prevented us. Another one said, but Satan hindered and impeded us. And then lastly, one translation says, Satan blocked our way. How many know there's the hindrance of Satan in every life? How many understand that something we have to deal with in this life? Ephesians 6, 12, we don't wrestle. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. The Bible is very clear, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 is clear, that Satan is also called the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that works in those that don't know the Lord. So the atmosphere, this is an uncanny, perhaps even an unsettling thing that we all need to remain aware of. The atmosphere that we live in is influenced by demon power. You can't see them, but you sense their influence. And often people will allow these influences to influence their life to the negative and cause them to do things that otherwise they wouldn't do. How many know it's true? And we see when you're praying, I mean, when you're praying in faith for someone, see our prayers for others, our prayer of supplication, it comes against the, it comes right up to their will. But then also when we're praying, we say, Satan, take your hands off that person. 
in the name of Jesus. See, because Satan's influencing constantly. And as long as we're praying for a person, commanding Satan to take his hands off of them, then that malevolent, negative, dark influence is hindered in their life. Then they're free. If you're praying, Lord, draw them. Then how many know they're free to, to hear God and listen to his voice and know that they need to change and mend their ways or make some different choices? How many know? And how many know that's important? To know that. So, again, we have authority. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 18, 18, he said, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. That's New King James. Another translation says, what you refuse to allow on earth will be refused to be allowed in heaven. And what do you allow on earth will be allowed in heaven. So how many know we have authority over the demonic world? Believers can exercise authority over these demonic influences in people's lives and we can command them to stop in the name of Jesus. How many know that's important? You know, what you don't realize is cities, cities have personalities. And I've been knowing this. I've traveled different places in the world. I've lived in a number of different places, a number of different cities. Uh, since Susan and I have been married now, uh, we're into our 41st year. And uh, what I can tell you is cities have personalities. And often the personality of a city is influenced by demonic forces. Now, we live in Raleigh. We're, we're just a couple of miles from downtown Raleigh. There's an, there's an aura, an atmosphere here. It's a cosmopolitan atmosphere. It's a party atmosphere. It's a, I'm going to do what I want to do. Don't you want to come and join me? We don't care what anybody thinks. Whoa, let's have fun. Yes or no? And if you're not careful, it'll grab a hold of you. Now, this is not popular when I say this. But we have lots of, um, lots of colleges and universities here. Yes or no? Now, this is not popular, but it's true. Search it out. Prove me wrong. Anywhere you have lots of higher education... You will also have rampant immorality. Because education without God creates an independence that gives a person an idea that I can do anything I want to do and nobody can stop me because I'm the smartest person in my world. Y'all, nobody's smarter than God. And when we violate God's laws and rules, there's a price to pay personally, there's a price to pay sometimes in a family, in a marriage. There's also a heavy price to pay when a culture forsakes God. How many hear me? And that's the reason we deeply need to pray for our nation. How many hear me? So you understand again, let's come back full circle here, the prayer of, the prayer of supplication. We pray it over and over again. I sometimes say it a different way, but I'm praying for the person. I'm just reminding the Lord. I say, Lord, I thank you that you're, 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 the impress of your spirit is on such and such a person. And Lord, I thank you that you're drawing them to yourself. I thank you that anywhere they go, people that know you are talking to them. They're hearing the word. They're hearing the message of salvation. They're, they have a desire to make a change, which is repent. They have a desire to live differently. And that's, you're moving on them every single day. Satan, you're bound in their life in Jesus. Jesus name. How many know that's, that's important? I've got one other, this is a little strange illustration, but you know, this is an extreme illustration, but sometimes the extremes bear the point. I've had a couple of times, 
uh, in my life that I've had some very unusual things happen when I was dealing with people. And it bears the point home that we don't wrestle against just human human things, but there's the demonic forces that are constantly trying to hinder us, and they're in the atmosphere. And when you're praying for others, you need to stand against those forces. How many understand that's important? Now, see, the Lord just checked me the moment I said that there are people in the room today, you're oppressed, you don't feel right. You just constantly feel like, you know, something's challenging you. Often it's demonic forces. You've got to stand against them in Jesus' name. You've got to do it personally, and then you have people that you know, friends, people that work with you, associates at work, uh, family members and such, that are so challenged in the different areas of life, and it's often demonic intrusion. And see, we have authority, and we can say, stop in Jesus' name. Often in my personal prayer life, I never tell anybody. I would never, ever, in a million years, ever tell anybody about my personal prayer life. When I'm praying for other people, often I'm praying for a person, and I'll say, Satan, you take your hands off them. And you know what? Then I get in conversation with that person, see an immediate change. It's just amazing. You don't realize how how often we're influenced by things that we can't see. Case in point, this was in the 1980s. I had a guy that was, um, I was over a big counseling department in a huge church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You've heard me talk about that in the 1980s. And, um... And so one of my counselors had just gotten married. I was the best man in his wedding. And he was just the most sweet guy. He had a sweet little wife. She was a nurse. Actually a nurse at, uh, at Oral Roberts Hospital in Tulsa. Just the sweetest girl. They got married. They'd been married, you know, less than three months. Uh, coming home one night, she worked the night shift, got off at midnight. And uh, so they actually went to the grocery store. And, and a drunk person hit them. And when that drunk person hit their car... Uh, she had a head injury. Her head hit the glass on the passenger side, and she had a head injury. Now, there was no physical injury, but it affected her thinking, and her personality changed. You can look all this up. You can Google this and find all kind of information about head injuries, all right? So anyway, she had a head injury, and what we did notice was this sweet, wonderful, beautiful Christian girl who loved Jesus, actually helped us in our ministry in Tulsa. Man, she changed. She started cursing. She had used every four-letter word known to man and then made up some. I mean, it was bad, y'all. I mean, her personality twisted, and her husband would come to me crying, Pastor, I mean, she gets home. She's saying some gosh awful things about me and about you, about church, about God, about Jesus. I said, that's not her. It's demonic forces. Then we took authority over those things, and that stuff began to subside. Uh, While I was here, I was here maybe a couple of years. I've been here 25 years. I was here a couple of years, and uh, uh, one of the church members, now nobody knows who this is, so it's fine. Uh, One of the church members had a friend uh, uh, whose uh, husband had a heart attack, uh, not heart, uh, a stroke, and was in a recovery facility in Zebulun. Said, I want you to come and see my friend. The wife is just beside herself. So I went to the facility. Now, I'm I'm, I'm explaining the point that you have to stand against demonic intrusion in people's lives. And and that's what you do when you're praying. So, um, got there and and got talking to the woman. She was just in tears. She said, Pastor, my husband's most wonderful believer you'd ever meet. Sweetest man you'd ever meet. But she said, man, he's cussing the blue streak. (laughs) She said, man, he's calling me all kinds of names. 
and he's, he's uh, fussing out, cursing at the uh, workers and all that, and he's using God's name. And, and pastor this, he was a leader in his church. He went to a Southern Baptist church. He was a leader in the church. He was one of the deacons. He was on the deacon board. I mean, in the Baptist church, that's a big deal. And so she said, but he's so unlike himself. And, and, and when she said it, I knew exactly what was happening. See, demon spirits are in the atmosphere. And if there's a part of your body that's not working right, they'll try to get there. And they'll try to use it as a door to just mess with people around you. How many hear me? So when the stroke happened to her husband, because he couldn't control himself, they came in and controlled his voice and said, I mean, just nasty things. I said to her, honestly, this is exactly, I said, you know what? Here's what you do. Don't do it in front of him. Don't let anybody else you know you're doing. We went to a side room, and I said, let's take authority over the demonic realm, realm that is speaking through your husband, and let's keep them from doing it. So we took authority over that and asserted our spiritual authority in Jesus' name over demonic forces that were trying to mess with that were messing with him. And we bound them. There's an old Pentecostal phrase. We pled the blood of Jesus, which means we exercised our rights in Christ. And y'all, he quit. He got nice again. But she called me back, so he's doing it again. I say, we didn't do it just one time. You got to do it over and over every day. Because that's the way the devil is. He's always looking for an inroad. So if you're working, looking for an easy way out of, of life's challenges without a fight, you're on the wrong planet. Because we're living in a plan, on a planet that is fallen. And there are malevolent forces that are trying to hinder our fellowship with God. But we have authority in Jesus' name. And we have a Father who hears and answers prayer. Number four, did y'all get that? Number four, as I close, persistence is necessary when praying for others because of the obstinate will and the opposition of Satan. We have to be persistent. Luke 18, 1. I love this uh, parable that Jesus told. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. He says, there was a judge in a certain city, uh, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. How many know that sounds like the devil, doesn't it? A widow of the same city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said uh, to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm gonna see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from the unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. Isn't that good? Isn't that a good parable? So, so again, the thing you need to see in the background of that is there is the opposition of Satan, and that's the reason that we have to be persistent in our praying. Let me close with this illustration. Uh, Susan and I moved to the second Bible school we went to uh, was in 1980. We moved from Florence, South Carolina to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, I got a job at a grocery store. Actually, I was the night manager there. And I was in charge of uh, um, uh, purchasing all of the um, goods and things that the store sold and making sure all the people put it on the shelves properly and all that. So I worked nights and I was in Bible school. And uh, one of the guys that worked with me, his name was David. 
And uh, David, I'd go working beside him. I'd work beside all the guys, making sure they're doing the work properly and yada, yada. So I was, I'd work my, uh, beside him some. And so we were on the aisle doing this and that. And, uh, and he got to talking to me. And I found out that David, and I never told anybody I was a believer. I didn't want him to know I was a Bible school student. I didn't want them to know I was called to ministry. Because once people know you're called to ministry, they change. And I don't like it. I just want to be average Joe, average Mitch. So um, anyway, he got to talking to me and he said he, he frequented bars. He'd go, he'd go bar hopping. He'd find women and he was doing this and that and he's smoking pot. He called it reefer, you know. I said, well, I, he, and he'd come, he, would come to, he would come to work lit. I mean, he'd come to, her, come to work high as a kite. And I said, you know, you're going to hinder your job. You keep doing that. You need to quit that because you're going to do something stupid. And uh, he kept talking to me. And then one day he said, he said, you're a believer, aren't you? And I said, why'd you say that? He said, by the way you talk, you never curse. And then the way you say, I said, well, well yes, I am. Well, I started praying long, short of this was, I started praying for this young man, David. And he worked with me every, every night. And he'd go home and do his stuff. So I started praying, and I used these principles, praying for another, the prayer of supplication. And, and I said, Father, I ask you to draw David to yourself. Put a yearning in him for Jesus. And I quote Matthew 6, uh, John 6, 44. Uh, no man can come to me, Jesus said, except the Father himself draw him. I said, Father, draw David's heart to you. Put a desire in him, not for religion, but for a heart change, for a life change. Lord, everywhere he is, may he think about his need for Jesus. I'm asking you that you would send people that know you, whether it's written form or, or a radio, we didn't have the internet at the time, radio broadcast, whether it was TV broadcast, bumper stickers, billboards, overhood conversations, or people like me in his life. May he hear the gospel every day. And I said, Satan, take your hands off of his mind. You keep your hands off of him. And I said this, Lord, I believe that every day he has a desire for you. And, and, and then I said this, Lord, I believe that when he goes home from work and he's, and he's drinking a cup of coffee, maybe decaf before he goes to bed because we worked all night. And uh, uh, may he think about, and he's reading his morning paper. Newspapers were popular then, remember? And if you're, if you're old enough, and say, well, he's reading the paper. May he think about his need for you. And I said, Lord, when he wakes up in the afternoon after he's took his slept all day and he's starting to eat whatever he eats and he's there at the table, may he think about his need for you. Lord, when he goes out to, and he called it a boogie bar, when he goes out to the bar and he's drinking and doing whatever he does, may he think about his need for you. And y'all, I prayed it every day. So we'd come to work and, you know, sometimes the conversation would route to where I'd talk to him about the Lord. He'd ask me questions about the Bible once he found out I was a believer. You know, you find out people that don't know, Lord, know the Lord, they want to know who he is. He would ask me questions and I'd just talk, you know. If I didn't know the answer, say, well, I don't know, but we'll find out. I'll, I'll research and let you know. So we just uh, had a good rapport. Well, you know what? One day I was standing at the bailing machine in the back where we put the cardboard that the, you know, the goods come in and we were throwing a cardboard in that bailing machine and right in front of the bailing machine it was my spiritual birthday it was September 12th 1981 and he said uh, he said Mitch would you pray with me I said well yeah what about he said well he said you know it's funny but no I didn't I didn't ask him for this he said when, when I get home I'm drinking my little cup of coffee and stuff reading the paper 
He said, I'm thinking about things you said to me. I said, really? He said, yeah, I'm thinking about things I've heard about God. I said, really? He said, you know, it's funny. I never asked him to say, he said, it's funny, but when I get up and like I'm, I'm eating what, you know, would be whatever dinner, because you know, we had a weird schedule working nights. He said, I'm eating and, and while I'm eating, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about the Lord. I'm thinking about my need for God. He said, it's funny, but I'm at the boogie bar. That's what he called it. He said, I'm at the bar drinking my favorite beverage. And he said, but I'm thinking about things you said and other people have said. And then I overhear things. I said, really? He said, yeah. And right there at the bailing machine, he said, would you pray with me? I want to give my life to Jesus. Y'all? I mean, it was like, wow. Wow, God. So, you know, years ago, all those years ago, that showed me the importance of praying for another person. He never let me know. He never told me. The pride will keep you, keep you from letting people know God's dealing with you. I never let my mother know that God was dealing with me. I never let my parents know. He never let me know or anybody else know that God was dealing with him. And you never know. When you're praying for someone else, God moves upon them. And the Holy Spirit goes right up to their will. And then Satan's influence is bound in Jesus' name. And then they have that opportunity to make Jesus Lord, to come clean, to repent, to change a lifestyle, to change and do away with a behavior that's going to harm them. They may never tell you, but the whole time God is dealing with them. How many know you can pray? You can pray the prayer of supplication.